just haven't been able to forget for a couple of weeks now. The other day on a Sunday afternoon, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, I was here at the building and I went up to the third floor of the education wing and Jennifer Flew Allen was in painting a beautiful picture, almost mural size on the wall in the class that she is teaching. And it would be worth your while to pass through there and just look at the various classrooms, but you'll immediately recognize it's a very beautiful paintings on three different, four different paintings on two different walls. And so I just stopped and visited with her for just a moment, and, and just a few seconds into the visiting, Julie Beth pops up, nine-year-old daughter. She was down mixing her paint. She turns around, and I don't mean helping her mother as in, Mom, here's the paint. She was actually painting. I've never seen anything like it. You ought to take a walk up to the third floor and see what a mother and a nine-year-old can do. Amazing, amazing. And we are so proud of Julie Beth, and we hope that she has a long life of service in God's kingdom and that she can just develop that talent. And I can foresee her painting a lot of classrooms and a lot of vacation Bible school things, and who knows what all, that she can use that talent for God's glory because God knows that he didn't pass that talent out to many of us. One has said, to learn more about ourselves, we need to learn more about God. And learning more about God, in fact, we learn more about ourselves. I think there's a lot of truth to that. The idea that when we learn of the nature of God, we learn of things that we ought to become. When we learn of God as the Creator, we learn more about the creation. When we learn more about God and things outside of this earth, we learn more about eternity and the place that we hope to dwell with God. And taking just a little bit of a spin of that tonight, I want you to think with me by way of introduction of this fact. If we learn more of God's Word, we learn more of the mind of God. And isn't it interesting to think about what would God say about this? What would God think about this? Now just a little turn off of that thought. It's the first century, and there are literally thousands of Christians throughout Jerusalem and other areas. Out of the thousands of Christians, which ones would Jesus, would God, the Holy Spirit, single out and say, I want to record their stories for all of the generations to come so that they could read about them. I have to tell you, the story of Dorcas that we're about to read is a very impressive story. But it means much more to me when I think out of all of the godly women in Jerusalem and throughout the area of the world of Christianity of that day, it's interesting that God said, I want people to hear this story over and over and over again. And the truth is, it's simple. Not easy to live. It takes a life of work to live it. But it is simple to understand. Let's read about this woman named Dorcas. We're in Acts the ninth chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse 36. 
And then after we read this paragraph, we're going to come back and to develop almost this whole lesson of how we use our bodies and our life and stewardship to God out of just the first few verses that we read. But here's the whole story here. Acts, the ninth chapter, beginning at 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa. Simon. Who was this woman? We know that it was remarkable that woman name and a reputation before this event of the resurrection. So who was this woman? This one was called Tabitha, if it was either Aramaic or Hebrew, or translated into Greek, Dorcas. Both of the names gazelle. Now when we look in poetry and the meaning of names, of course, the idea of a gracious moving being, one that would be tall and slender, is the idea that comes from naming a lady after gazelles. Was it that her mother held her and said, I want my daughter to grow up to be a gracious, beautiful woman? Perhaps. Wouldn't we all want our daughters to grow up and be gracious, beautiful women? Or was it the fact that later in life she was given this name, as oftentimes in the Scriptures people were renamed? In other words, had this woman lived such a beautiful life that individuals declared that they must rename her because of that beautiful life? As a matter of fact, if you look over with me to 1 Peter real quick. In 1 Peter, the third chapter, hold your finger here in Acts, we're coming right back. But in 1 Peter, the third chapter, here's how Jesus... Uh, or God would describe a beautiful woman. First Peter, the third chapter, beginning at verse 3, he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious. In other words, it's very costly in the sight of God. And so if we could ask God, God, what do you think a beautiful lady looks like? And God would say a beautiful lady has a beautiful heart. She has a quiet and a meek spirit about her. And that could be an entirely a whole lesson in and of itself. But think for just a moment. Here's a woman named Dorcas that's a beautiful woman. 
We don't know about her outward features. She might not have been outwardly attractive by, by human standards. But we know by what is described in the Scriptures. This is a beautiful woman in the sight of God. Notice also, not only do we see her name, but we see the description that Luke gives her as the writer of Acts. See there in 36, at Joppa there was a certain disciple. What a description. A disciple. As a matter of fact, this is the only time this exact word, not translated into English, but back in the original text, is used in all of the New Testament. You see, this is the word that is literally a female disciple. What is Luke saying about this woman? Summer camp this year, some of the kids that were there, we kind of went through just this quick exercise, and it was describe or define what is a disciple. And then very quickly, the idea came up that it might be like a student. And so then we said, well, how do you describe the difference in a student and a disciple? Now, you just think about that for just a moment. What is the difference in a student and a disciple? You see, he didn't say here, Luke didn't say, isn't it wonderful that Dorcas was a student of God? He said she was a disciple. A disciple is one that not only learns what is taught, but a disciple is one that also learns the teacher. Pick, if you will, in your mind a topic that you enjoy learning about. Let's just say the topic that you enjoy learning about might be literature. And you might go into a class and sit down and a professor comes in, and there might not be much about that professor that you like, that you would want to imitate in your life. You might say his hair is greasy, I'd never wear those clothes, I don't like his personality. There might be a lot of things about that professor that you'd say, I don't want to become like him. But he might be brilliant in literature, and so you say, I want to learn from him because he has a lot to teach in the area of literature. Well, what about Jesus? Do you see Jesus as one that, you know, he's good to learn from? You know, he, he has a lot of good messages that you can glean from. Or do you and I see Jesus as one that we want to learn what he taught and we want to learn who he is and we want to become a follower of the Savior? That's the idea of Lord and Master, of student and teacher, of one that would deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. All of that put in kind of in together to one description would be that of disciple. Lydia, what a tremendous compliment. You could say, Lydia, how are you using your life? And she could honestly say, I'm using my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I hope all of us here tonight can honestly say that we're using our life as disciples of Jesus. We're wanting to learn more, but not only learn more, we're wanting to take what we've learned and we want to become more like Jesus every day. There's not a one of us here perfect. There's not a one of us here that, that we don't have room to improve. And let's really give it our all to be the disciple of the Lord that He'd have us to be. That's just a little bit of insight to who she was. We see her name. We see that she's from Joppa. 
we see also the description that Luke would give her, a disciple. But let's think for just a minute. What did this woman do? Look back down there at verse 36. You see that 36 has two sentences. The second sentence there describes so much in such a brief sentence. Look at that sentence again. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. First of all, we could say that Dorcas was a worker. Now that's positive, isn't it? Oh, I'd love to see everybody just without thinking, just nod their head, yeah. You don't see that in America today. You could say that in any circle of people, and no one without thinking would say, yes, work's good. Why? I don't know why. Christians ought to be the first to do it without even thinking. As a matter of fact, hold your finger here and go over 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter. 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, we could ask God, God, how serious is it to you that we be workers? And He would even make it a matter of fellowship. It's something that people ought to be disfellowshipped over, whether or not they are willing to work. He would say this in 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, and let's just pick up in the middle of this paragraph here in verse 10. He says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Just a sideline. Should we give food to someone who will not work but has the ability to work? Depends if we respect the Scriptures or not. The Scripture says they shouldn't eat. Now, if we're giving them food to eat and they won't work, we're violating the principle that God's laid forth. You see, hunger, God teaches here indirectly, is a motivation to work. And so we do not do a favor for individuals when we encourage them to violate the will of God. Verse 11, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. You see that? He says, I'm not going to leave it any gray area here. Somebody that won't work, somebody because their idleness is causing trouble, somebody because they won't work and they're causing trouble and they have no bread to eat. I command them, start working, stop the busybodiness, and provide your own food. What's the completion of this? But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Now what's the setting here of doing good? Making a living. That's the setting here in this passage of doing good. For those of you that get up and you go to work each day to provide for your families, God says, that's a good thing. Work is a good thing. Do not grow weary in doing good. And then he says, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It shouldn't be counted as normal. It should be corrected. So what's the point of all this? work. What kind of woman was Dorcas? She's a worker. God says it's a shame to not be a worker. But what kind of work did she do? Notice she gave her life to good works. And not only that, he even said she was full of 
good works. Now, if we have a glass of water that is full, you could put one more drop in it, and that drop would pass over the side of the cup. What's the description of our life? Full. Couldn't put any more in it. Full of what? Of good works. Well, what kind of good works was she doing? We know by reading this paragraph, when she died, the widows came around grieving, shedding the tears, weeping, and showing the very garments that she made. In other words, we know what a part of her good works was. And then, even if we didn't know, reading down further in the paragraph of them showing the tunics and the coats and etc., look at the very next phrase here in verse 36. It says that she did deeds. Well, was it a good deed? Or was it a good or a bad deed that she did? Well, in the New King James it says it was a charitable deed. Charitable. To give. To benefit someone else. So she did something and it was work. And she was full of good works. And what she did became deeds. And the deeds were charitable deeds. And then, with imperfect tense of the verb, as this verse closes, and charitable deeds, which she did, points to the fact that it's continuous. For example, I could begin to describe to you the life of my grandparents on either side. I could talk about the cornfields that they've plowed and that they've harvested in Murray County and in Hickman County, different grandparents there, and I could talk about all the cattle and the swine that they've raised. And then at the end of that, you might say something, you know, hypothetical situation here, you might say something foolish, say, oh, so they raised a pig one time. And I'd say, oh, no, no, no. Farming is what they did. Oh, that's what they did. That's right. They never worked anywhere else. That's all they did. Well, Dorcas, Luke, help us to understand the life of Dorcas. He couldn't have said it any more generous and, and, and more complete when he says she's a worker full of good works. woman that did deeds, charitable deeds. Charitable deeds is what she did. Would you prefer to be a jack of all trades and master of none? Or would you prefer to find your place that you could work in the Lord's service? And when people stand around your casket,
all the time. It's supposed to be our life. We're laborers in the kingdom. And we're, we are supposed to find that work that's a good work and to be full of it. We're to find a deed that's a charitable deed and just keep doing it. And in and of itself, somebody might think, that's not a big deal. Making a widow a garment's not a big deal. You know what? It was a big deal to all of those widows that had gathered around, and it was a big deal to God, and it's a big deal to the Holy Spirit. And friends, my fear is we waste all of our life looking for that big thing. God is saying, I want you to find that small thing that I've given you the ability, I've given you the opportunity, I've given you the heart for it, I've given you the passion for it. Now go after it. Do it day in and day out. Full of good works. This evening, let's close by going to Luke, the 14th chapter. In Luke, the 14th chapter, we say, how could you define what God would define as charitable deeds? I think this would be one brief description of what a charitable deed might look like. In Luke, the 14th chapter, picking in the middle of the paragraph here in verse 12, he says, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they can not repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What's a charitable deed? One insight here is that a charitable deed is especially when we do something not for any motive on this earth of a repayment. A charitable deed is when we can honestly do something with no repayment in mind except for eternity. Maybe it is that the person could never repay. That's fine. We're not doing it for gratification on this earth. We're doing it because it's the work of the Lord's kingdom. Let's glorify God with it. When I think of Dorcas... There are a few thoughts that just immediately come to mind. A woman that her life became a memorial. For several thousand years, people would read of the woman that was resurrected. But before they would ever get to that part in the paragraph, they would first read some of the greatest compliments that was ever written about a person. A giver a generous giver. What kind of memorial will you leave behind? A second thing that we learn from Dorcas is that she laid up her treasures in heaven, but in so doing, she made the earth a much better place to be. The widows were standing there to prove that. Look how much she had blessed their life. Isn't that neat? 
when we think about laying up our treasures in heaven, we always bless somebody on this earth to make their life a little better. But finally, I think of Dorcas. We have to think of the fact that she was an awesome example. Do you realize that somewhere in America, even this afternoon, a class met, and it was a group of young ladies, and they were being taught how to be faithful Christian servants, and you know what the name of that class was? The Dorcas class. Do you realize scattered all across America right now, you can benevolent centers where they're handing out clothing to those that are destitute. And if you'll read the sign right above the door, it'll say something like this, the Dorcas House. Do you realize that somewhere across America, a sermon is being preached right now encouraging about this number of people? We need to be a little more like Dorcas. Her example lives on and on. Tonight, I don't want to challenge you and I to just go out and do something good today or tomorrow. I want to challenge you and I to find that area of service that God gave us that ability. And let's allow that to become our life. Let's do it for such a length and duration of time that we really make a difference for God's kingdom. To start all of that, we need to make sure first that our life is right with God. Can it be said tonight that you are a disciple of Jesus? If you've never been baptized in Christ for the mission of sins, won't you become a disciple of His tonight? repenting of sins, confessing before man that Jesus is the Son of God, and being baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. Maybe you have been a disciple, but somewhere along the way you've stopped looking as much like the Master and you've started looking more like the world. And tonight you're ashamed of that and you don't want it to be that way and you're willing to repent. Let's confess sin and, and, and let's pray forgiveness. And let's leave here tonight saved disciple and a servant ready to be full of good works if we can help you in any way come as we stand as we sing